0: I'm privileged to greet each of you this morning in the name of Jesus, the one who came to restore our broken fellowship with the Father. Jesus is the only provision whereby mankind's communion with God may be restored, and I say praise his holy name. I'd like to say welcome to you, Wesley and Carla. It's good to have you back. Lord bless you for your service today. Today is our communion service, and I'd like to thank uh, Daniel. Thank you for introducing the message this, this morning. We just sang, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Well, I have the tongue this morning, and I'm no match for the message this morning. But by the grace of God, I'll do the best I can. Today's a special time to remember God's eternal love for his creation. Today's a special time to remember the suffering of our dear Lord and Savior. And today's also a special time for us to consider our response to that great love, that eternal love that we have from God. And this morning I'd like to consider not only Jesus' love, and his suffering, and his death, but I'd like to also think of God's love from eternity past, To eternity future, God's love is continual down through the ages, eternity past, eternity future. And when you and I, when we establish that vertical relationship between us and the Lord Jesus, it makes us possible, makes it possible for us to love and commune like we are here this morning. And so, thanks to the Lord Jesus, He's made it possible. So because of him, this morning we meet together. Because of him, we worship together today. The title of the message, God's Love and Continuum, Past, Present, and Future. And I'm not trying to impress you all with big words, but as I thought about God's love, the word continuum seemed to fit. The definition from Webster's reads this way, A continuous whole or quantity, I'm sorry, yeah, quantity, something whose parts cannot be separated or separately discerned. You know, God's love was not something that was cultivated and grew over time to become better and better. God's love is His character, it's who He is. And I could say it's in His DNA. And I don't want to bring him down on a human level. God's love is who he is. It's his character. And it cannot be separated. God's love cannot be separated from the Trinity. Neither can God's love be separated from time, whether it's past, present, or future. So the first point of the message is God's love from eternity past. I invite you to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. What I can't communicate to you, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning about God's love. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers... How were you redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse 20 speaks of God's love, eternity past. Who verily was foreordained, speaking of Jesus, before the foundation of the world of the world. How is it that God's love was manifested in eternity past? In my humanity and finite understanding, I like to think of the Trinity sitting around a table discussing a solution to the sin problem before the creation. Now, wrap that around in your mind. I don't know how it happened But i just like to think of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sitting around a table considering that there's going to be a problem in the future. Creation hadn't even happened. Mankind had never been created yet. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in their omniscience knew that there was going to be an issue. There was going to be a sin problem. And I'm blessed as I think of that. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Speaking of this problem, Romans chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the men because the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members... Something's not looking quite right. Romans. Pardon me. I was looking for the place where in Adam, Adam's sin was passed from mankind from one person to the other. And then Jesus' work of righteousness on the cross is passed on. And I apologize this morning. Um, Does anybody know where that is? Is... um, Let's, let's look at chapter 5. Maybe that's it. I think it's chapter 5. I'm sorry. I apologize to you. I'm human just like anyone. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. This is a sin problem passed from Adam down through mankind all the way to the present. So by the obedience of one, speaking of Jesus, shall many be made righteous. And what a beautiful, we think of love, God's love in eternity past and the Father and the Son speaking together and As the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sat around this table, per se, I don't believe that they were deliberating or one would say, well, I think this option would be better, or they were throwing out various options. I don't think they were sitting around a table of deliberation, but I believe they were sitting around a table of commitment because they knew what the problem was and they knew the solution, and Jesus was willing to commit. He was foreordained, who was verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I don't know how long before creation had happened, but I'm convinced that Jesus, he committed to come for you and for me. He knew the sin problem. He knew there needed to be a redeemer, needed to be a savior, and he was willing to go. It required commitment. From the Father. You know, we read those verses, for God so loved the world that he gave. And I don't believe that was only, that only happened at the birth of Jesus. I believe this verse would be appropriate in eternity past, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. I think it was, that happened in eternity past. He committed himself to give his son just like Jesus committed himself to go. The word foreordained here in 1 Peter chapter 2 um, comes from the Strong's, um, number 4267. It comes from the foundation of the world. It means to know beforehand. So foreordained, Jesus knew beforehand, or he had committed to go, He knew beforehand and he was willing to go. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 speaks as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Kind of the same thing. It required commitment of the Father to give a son. It required commitment of Jesus to give his life. And I think also it required commitment from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also was committed to follow through. Uh, in this salvation process John chapter 16 verse 7 John chapter 16 verse 7 nevertheless I tell you the truth Jesus said it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I believe the Holy Spirit also committed himself. When Jesus came and gave his life and he went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit, I believe, committed himself to come and to live and to indwell the believer. And how many of you are blessed this morning by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Any of you go through difficulties and trials this week? Claire, I don't need to ask you and your congregation, Diane, and some of the rest of you, some of the... illness that you could have i could point out some people in the congregation here this morning have you been blessed by the holy spirit the indwelling of the holy spirit in your life this week what a blessing it is i believe in eternity past it required commitment from all three the father the son and the holy spirit second point of the message is god's love in the present john chapter 15 verse 13 this would be the text John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So I have a question to ask you. Were you and I, were, were we friends of Jesus when he gave his life for us? Were you Jesus' friend when he gave his life for you? Thank you, Mel. The Bible says, while we were what? Friends? No. While we were yet sinners. We were rebellious. We were his enemies. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. I'm blessed to think of the Lord Jesus. He knew we would be his enemies, and yet it seems he could see beyond the evilness he could see beyond the sin to what you and I could become as we surrendered our life to the lordship of the son and so we're blessed this morning I cannot explain like the song says I cannot explain by tongue this morning the wonders of the agape love agape love a love that requires nothing in return That's the kind of love that we receive from the Lord Jesus. I'd like to consider uh, an Old Testament prophecy this morning and then some of the New Testament fulfillment. Uh, If you will, I invite you to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 7. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 7. Speaking of Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Consider these things as you, as we go through this passage. What does it mean to you? The Lord Jesus did these things for you. He experienced all these things. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. <coughs> Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The prophecy here in Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3, the Bible says he is despised and rejected of men. One of the greatest needs of humankind is to be loved and to be received and accepted. The Bible says here he is despised Um, He is despised and he's rejected of men. Jesus came. He had intentions to give his best to the people he came to. And how was he received? Look at John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. How was Jesus received when he came? Jesus 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. How many of you have maybe been, uh, when you were picking up teams uh, on a ball field, and what if, if you was the last one and somebody's, well, yeah, I guess I'll take him. He's not very good. Rejection is a hard thing to accept. Or maybe a different thing, somebody had asked you to be a part of something or and maybe they forgot you. To be rejected is a, is a fearful thing, a hard thing to experience. Jesus experienced that rejection of men. Matthew 27, verses 15 to 20. Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 to 20. Now at the feast of the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he had sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest And the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Jesus came to give his life, the best that heaven had to offer, and he experienced the rejection. How awful is it to receive and experience rejection? Jesus was willing to experience it because he loved you and he loved me. Jesus was also a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. I think uh, we already sang about this this morning. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 and to 39. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup of death. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. This was Jesus' prayer of agony. And you know how that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus knew of the conspiracy inside of Judas' heart. John chapter 13, verse 10. John chapter 13, verse 10. What all did Jesus know? Jesus saith unto him he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit and ye are clean but all, not all Jesus knew the conspiracy in Judas's heart and yet he washed his feet anyway Jesus was a man who was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities Matthew chapter 14 I'm sorry Mark chapter 14 We're thinking about the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Mark chapter 14, verses 65 and 66. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy! And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Also, Jesus, the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. Mark chapter 15, verse 15. I know we're going over these things really quickly, but you know the story. But what did Jesus experience? What was he willingly, willing to experience because he loved you and me? Verse 15, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. There's the rejection. And he delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Just kind of moves over through that very quickly. But you and I know how horrible a scourging is. And I'll not go into that this morning. I shared with you all how horrible a scourging is. Many people often would die before they could even be crucified on a cross because of the blood loss. Jesus was scourged. With his stripes, we are healed. The next one, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. A.W. Tozer said this, The most perfect definition of sin that I know of is given by Isaiah. And he said this, Turning to our own way is the essence of sin. I turn to my way because I think it's wiser than God's way. This is the difference between revival and a dead church. That's what A.W. Tozer said. There's many people that feel like they can come to God on their own terms. There's many people that want to earn their way... uh, Into heaven. In fact, if I understand right, Christianity is the only religion that puts um, focus on faith and works. Many religions, they have to work their way. They have to gain their way into heaven. And I'd like to share a story. I didn't bring the book that I got it from this morning. I read a story recently called Hope from Heidi. And I'd like to share a story from a man who thought he could... Earn his way into heaven. And I share this story. It's just a little longer than maybe I would generally share with you. But bear with me. I'd like to share this story with you. Years ago, American missionary to India, David Morse, he befriended a pearl diver named Ram Now, I'm not Indian, but uh, give me a little grace this morning. They had spent many hours together, and on many occasions the missionary had shared the good news of Christ, but to no avail. His Indian friend always rejected, and he said, Your religion's too easy. Perhaps I'm proud, but I believe that I must work for my place in heaven. The missionary would always respond by explaining that God's salvation may only be accepted, but not earned. But Ram Howell could not see it. He was getting old and he was planning to make a pilgrimage by traveling 900 miles to Delhi on his knees. The missionary pleaded with him, and he argued that it would do no good for him when he stood before God. But the old man was insistent. He said, the suffering will be sweet, for it will purchase heaven for me. A week before he was to leave, Ram stopped by the missionary's home he brought with him a small, strong box. His eyes messed it up as he told Morse that he once had a son. He had never mentioned this before because it was too painful for him. His son had been the best pearl diver in that part of India. One day as he was diving, he saw the perfect pearl. He went for it, but he stayed underwater too long. He got the pearl, but he lost his life. Now Ramhau opened the box and he showed Morse the pearl. Morse gasped at the rare beauty of it. It was huge. Then Ramhau explained, you are my best friend and I'm going away never to return. I want to give it to you. It is my most precious possession. Suddenly a thought came to the missionary. He said, Ramhau, this is a wonderful, amazing pearl. Let me buy it from you. I'll give you $10,000 for it. Ram Howe was stunned. What do you mean? Okay, I'll give you $15,000 or whatever it takes. I'll work all my life to pay for it if I have to. My friend, said Ram Howe, obviously offended. The pearl is beyond all price. No man in the entire world has money enough to pay for this pearl for what it's worth to me. A million dollars wouldn't buy it. I'll not sell it to you. You may only have it as a gift. No, Ramhal said Morse, I cannot accept that as much as I want the pearl. I cannot accept it that way. Perhaps I'm too proud, but really, that's too easy. I must pay for it. I must work for it. The pearl diver was stunned into silence. Finally, he said, don't you see? My only son gave his life to get this pearl and I wouldn't sell it for any amount of money. It's worth the lifeblood of my son, but I'll give it to you. Just accept it as a token of my love for you, my friend. Now the missionary was choked, and he could not speak for a moment. Then gripping his friend's hand, he said, Ram, Howell, don't you see? This is just what you've been saying to God. The diver looked long, and he searched searchingly. He looked long and searchingly at the missionary, and slowly he began to understand. God offers salvation to you as a free gift. It is so great and priceless that no one can possibly pay him back. It cost him the life of his own son. No man can be good enough to earn it or deserve it because we have all sinned against him. All you can do is accept it as his loving gift to you. As the tears flowed down his cheeks... Ramhouse said, I see it now. I have believed in the doctrine of Jesus for two years now, but I could not believe that his salvation was free. Now I understand. Some things are too priceless to be bought or earned. I will accept his free gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the kind of love and commitment from the Father and from the Son. Going back to Isaiah 53, the Bible tells us, the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And brothers and sisters, I cannot fathom the cumulative debt load that our Lord carried. I cannot fathom that. And I will submit to you that sometimes it's necessary in the life of the church to discipline one of its members. And that's a hard thing. That's only, that's only one case. I can remember recently of a time when that, that had to happen, a discipline of a member. And I can remember the weight of that morning. That was hard, but that was only one case. Imagine the debt load the weight that our Savior bore all the debt load of the world on his shoulders I cannot imagine but it's because of his great love it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 imagine the sorrow imagine the reproach of the father when the son took the money and went out and wasted it in riotous living but you know the father's focus was not on the reproach The father's focus was on the return of his son. The father's focus was on forgiveness. He was looking forward to that son who who would say, when he came to himself, he said, I'll go back. I'll go back to my father. And I'll say, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son, but I'll just be a servant. And Jesus went. He saw him from a long distance. He ran, he fell on, on his shoulder, and he hugged him and kissed him, and he forgave him. That's what the father was looking for. He was looking for repentance. The father continues to offer that kind of love. As a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. For even unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, what did he do? Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. These examples that we've looked at this morning underscore Jesus' love for mankind and how his love superseded his own will and how Jesus' love superseded his own comfort Jesus desired restoration for you and for me more than his own life did you get that? Jesus desired restoration the fellowship and the relationship that was broken of the father Jesus desired that be restored more than his own life for you and for me that's agape love expecting nothing in return. Jesus left us as an example on the night he was betrayed. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 15 to 20. And he said unto them, What desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat it any more, I'm sorry, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks. And take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and break it. And gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given, or this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup, after, he, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you. Some time ago, I guess I was... I don't know what word to use. As I thought about Jesus, as he stood there, as he took the cup, as he took the bread, and he gave thanks and we give thanks before meal, but when Jesus gave thanks, what did it mean? It seemed Jesus gave thanks that he could suffer for his brethren because the cup represented his blood, the bread represented his broken body, and he gave thanks before he distributed it to his disciples. I'm impressed by the blood, by the love, of the Lord Jesus and we're privileged to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord this morning and God forbid that we would take the sacrifice for granted and how effective was Jesus death we're talking about the shedding of blood but ultimately he gave his life and he died on the cross and how effective was that death John the Baptist when he saw him he said behold the Lamb of God which Taketh. Thank you. What about the Old Testament? How effective was the blood in the Old Testament? The blood covered. Year after year after year, the blood covered. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The blood did away with sin. When a person recognizes their sin and confesses it, that sin is forgiven and forgotten. I know our time is is rushing away, but we're talking right now about God's love in the present. And I'd like to real briefly think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me again to John chapter 16. Are you blessed this morning by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And then let's drop down to verses 13 and 15. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show unto you things to come. He shall glorify me. He shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. What beautiful, I don't have a lot of time to think about it, but I hope you're blessed this morning as you think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life and the blessing. Jesus said, I'll, if I go back, I'll send to you the comforter. Are you blessed for the comforter this morning? When you go through difficulties, through trials, are you blessed to have an indwelling of the comforter? Or when you come against a situation and you need some wisdom, you need some guidance, and you can go in prayer. And James said, you know, if any man... Um, like wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So we have the privilege of going in prayer, seeking wisdom, and we, I'm thankful for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Last point of the message God's love in eternity future. You know, Jesus finished his work, his redemptive work at the cross, but I ask you, did that work at the cross reduces Jesus' character or ability to love in the future. What's in store for the overcomer? Well, the Bible tells us. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Eternity, future, God's love in the future. We have here the beauties of the things to come. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus like we are this morning. That in the ages to come, thinking of God's love in the future, eternity, future, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Are you looking forward to what's coming later? Are you looking forward to what's coming in the future? I hope we are. You know, I was reminded as I thought of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came to John the Baptist and he said, you know, I, I would like to be baptized and John the Baptist said, Well, I really need to be baptized of you. It didn't, it didn't seem right. Well, when Jesus came to wash the disciples' feet, he came to Peter and it didn't feel right. Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Well, if you don't, you don't have any part with me. And Peter said, Well, he wanted my hands and my head, he wanted to be washed. But I guess I thought of those two instances when I thought of Jesus' love in the future, in eternity, future. And I ask you this, this question. Who is it who receives? Who is it who serves at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Luke chapter 12, verse 37 tells us, we are so blessed this morning to have our sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. But just because he, he followed through and finished that work did in no way take the love and the servant heart from our Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Of all that Jesus has done for us, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we'll set and he'll serve again, we don't separate his love in any way from his nature, his character. It's his nature to love. It's his nature to serve. And I say praise His holy name. In conclusion, let's never forget the example of Jesus' love and His servant's heart. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. May our love to God and each other be a reflection of His goodness and His grace until Jesus comes again. May the Lord bless you as we partake of the communion.